All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity as we are here together, that, that your spirit in particular would be here this day to help us on a very deep level as we seek to be your faithful servants in this day. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start with 1 Kings chapter 19. If you were here several weeks ago, Pastor Jay read this passage. So I want to go back to it today, and here we go. 1 Kings chapter 19. If you want to follow along with any of the texts, I have the same translation I'm using as the one that's in front of you there. You can grab that and, and look at it if you like. 1 Kings 19 verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Pastor Jay gave us a challenge in the context of this passage several weeks ago. And the challenge he gave us was in the context of the service that we call communion, the Lord's Supper. On the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and broke it. And having broken it, said, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This is the blood of, is the, blood of the new covenant. And we were building up at that time to a communion service that we had a few weeks ago. But Jay challenged everyone with the concept of being ready to receive it, to discern in the emblems the body of Christ and the blood of Jesus. And what he suggested is if you're not ready for this now, perhaps you need to journey into the wilderness to meet with the Lord. And he set up 40 days, really 42, because we're going by sevens, so six weeks, 42 days when we would prepare for the Lord's Supper again. On that particular first communion that we had, many in the sanctuary chose to remain here and have the cake and the water, because Jay provided that here in the sanctuary, while many of you chose to go to the other room where we had the emblems of the Lord's Supper. 
We want to be ready for the next time so that we're all ready to receive the bread and the wine. 42 days have been given you. How are you using your days? Half of those days are gone. It's been 21 days since we had the communion service here. Are you able to remember you're on a journey? Here, here's one of my challenges. Uh, particularly on a Sabbath, we'll be here and we'll be talking and I'll be thinking, yes, yes, I'm all about that. I want to do that. I'm focused on that. And, and by, by Wednesday, I don't remember that I'm focused on that anymore. Has that ever happened to you? And I show up and I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm on a spiritual journey. I just spent the last four days wandering around, but yes. And then it slips away again. Is our life just too hectic or too much for a 40-day focus on faith? It just, just doesn't fit the current demands and available time, right? Is that the fault of time or that everything in your life is just so important or important? Or is it really a challenge of priority? What place does devotion to Jesus have in your life? And what things have you chosen in your life to focus on? Are we all just a, a helpless piece of cork floating down the stream, bouncing around wherever it goes, caught in an eddy today? Caught in something fast tomorrow, floating in a slow stretch. Is that our life? Or do we have some say about it? This Sabbath marks the halfway point of the 42-day journey to the mountain of God. And the question is, will you be ready to meet him when we get there? Now, this is the last Sabbath for a few weeks that I'll be speaking. Next Sabbath, Pastor Jay will be here, and he will speak. And then the Sabbath after that, September 10, Alicia is going to speak. And this is all building up to the 17th, which will be the communion Sabbath. And Jay will be our, our main speaker again. We've been focused in the book of Philippians here for a few weeks, and I want to take you back to some words from last Sabbath, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Here's what I want to say to you. This journey is worth it. Because we're journeying to meet with the God, to meet with the Lord Jesus, who has promised to appear again and transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. This journey is worth it. And the service of communion perfectly represents what we most need. We need the eternal life of Jesus coming into and rejuvenating and revitalizing our fading flesh and our sagging strength. 
And that's exactly what the communion service represents. It's the taking of Jesus into ourselves. Today we finish what has been a, a short focus on the book of Philippians, and we begin in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1, we find these words, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. One of the interesting things about Paul and his writing to the Philippians he has very strong affection for them in his heart. He doesn't really write like this to everybody. Sometimes he says, foolish Galatians. Sometimes when writing to his close friends, he says, everybody knows Cretans are lazy brutes. Paul did not automatically love Everybody. Now, that, let, let's put that in context. As, as a servant of the Lord, he sought to. But there was something special that happened between him and the people of Philippi. It comes out very early in the book in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Not everybody that you remember you thank God about, right? Sometimes it goes a little different. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And then verse 8, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So there's strong affection in his heart for these people and his desire for them is that they continue to grow and love and live more with the fullness and the excellence of God in their lives. But I also want you to note something else about, about Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. There's a key word right at the beginning. The very first word is, therefore, my brothers and sisters. You remember what we said about the word therefore? Therefore is a term of logic. It is a conclusion term. It means in order to understand the conclusion, you've got to understand what came before it. And the conclusion that starts this chapter is, therefore stand firm. What is the basis for it? Well, we just read it, actually. It's verses 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, stand firm. Stand firm because you have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who has promised to come again, give us eternal life, and transform us into himself, into the way he is. Therefore, stand firm. Now it goes on, and, and actually here, the next couple of verses, we get a curious snapshot into the life of the church in Philippi. 
Ephesians 4, verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Several things we need to note here. First of all, apparently strife in the church, meaning disagreement between committed believers, is not a new development in Christianity. Because all the way back to the church in Philippi, all the way back to the church where Paul says, it's great how you love each other, even in the midst of this seemingly idyllic scenario, there were two prominent women in the church who apparently were not getting on very well at that moment. Now, what do we tend to do when we have disagreement with each other within the church? It's so easy for us to rapidly go to the point where I am right and you are lost. That's kind of how we argue. But notice what Paul says here. He says, I entreat you that you will agree in the Lord. Both of you whose names are written in the book of life. Just because we disagree doesn't mean someone is saved and someone is lost. Just because we disagree doesn't mean that the church is about to fall apart. Now it does mean we need to do some work. Now just an aside here. This last Sunday... A significant group from this church had the opportunity to be a part of the Rocky Mountain Conference constituency session. And for those of you who weren't there, you would be very proud of your delegates to this constituency session last Sunday who came from this church, most of whom stayed to the bitter end. And that's actually not a pun. I'm not saying it was bitter at the end. It was just... Most of whom stayed to the very end. Maybe let's say it that way. Now, Faith was one of them. I gave her permission to go home when the useful agenda was over and we were on to the frivolous items because uh, it's a little hard for her to sit for 12 hours or whatever it was. But she stayed in for the parts that were most important. I think you had to go too, Brigitte. Did you have to go? Yeah. And, uh, and Gable and my dad and I, we stayed and until dad's hearing aids started to fail a little bit and then we're like, no meeting should go longer than that. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's it, we're out. But a lot of you, I know Jay stayed, and Peter, I think you and Patty stayed, and I think Mark and Diane stayed. Marsha, were you there at the end? Yeah, Marsha was there at the end. Sean, were you there? A little early? Uh, yeah, all right, yeah, so... So yeah, wow, intense time. And did I see Darren earlier? Where is he? Yeah, he was sitting up front till the, till the end. Good job, man. But what, did I get everybody? Yeah, I think I got everybody that was there. Yeah, all right. So you would be really proud of the delegates from this church because in, in, in things they said and in the way they behaved themselves and participated throughout the meeting, it was... I think it brought a lot of credit to this congregation, and a lot of folks from this congregation are playing important roles. I left out Vanessa 
Vanessa was there too, sorry about that. A lot of people were playing very important roles even going forward in standing committees in this conference. So you can be proud of and pray for these folks. Now, having said that, there were some things that we discussed where there was some contention within the larger community. And there was one issue in particular that I at least just bring to you as a reported item that our conference has in fact formally determined that uh, from this time forward we will recommend for ordination men or women in the pastoral ministry who have fulfilled the requirements of that task to the Mid-America Union for ordination. So that is, that is probably the point of the most contention. And the plan passed it was 59% for it, 41% against. So you can see, there's, we, we have Euodia and Syntyche in our midst. There is some disagreement as where we need to go. And there are, this day, many who are quite stressed about this choice. But I will tell you, I believe time will reveal that this was faithfulness to God's calling in our day. But getting back to... Euodia and Syntyche, these, these two women in Philippi, both of whom had made a difference, but seemingly there was some point of contention here. There will be times of tension, even in God-fearing and loving communities. But this is why our love must abound more and more, as Paul prayed for them at the beginning of the passage, when he says, I pray that your love will abound more and more. There will be times when we don't agree. But that does not mean we have failed. When we have those times when we disagree, and, and it will happen even within our own community here, when we don't agree... There are things we need to do. It doesn't mean we failed if we don't agree. What we have to do in that scenario is we've got to make a decision and then we've got to move forward and then we have to reevaluate over time. I want to suggest to you that far more important than the decisions we make is the spirit in which we make decisions. Because here's the deal. We can always change our mind. We can always revisit something and say, yeah, no, it looks like that wasn't the right way to go. We can always do that. And if we made a decision with a good spirit in our hearts, we can then change a decision with a good spirit in our hearts. But if then the first decision, what we did was make enemies of one another, then there's no way we can ever change something later on. It's so much more important that in our process, we maintain relationship. We might get something wrong. That's fine. We have time. We'll just make a better decision next time. So we've got to keep that in mind, that the manner in which we make decisions is 99% of the time more important than the decision itself. Let's go 100, why not? 
So let's keep that spirit. It's not easy, but it's critical. So let's go on. Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, you've probably heard that quoted, particularly Philippians 4, 4, quoted just kind of out of its own context. And that's not wrong because this is, these are really good words. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You may even know a song uh, centered in that. But I want to put it today back into its original context. These words actually show up right after Paul says, work to get along in the community. And then he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, maybe you know that as let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Here's what I want to suggest this means to us when it comes in the context in which it appears. I think what Paul is saying here is attitude matters. Attitude matters. Both attitude in our hearts and in the attitude we show to each other. Now what am I saying here? The attitude I believe Paul is calling us to have in our hearts is one of rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord. When you have a spirit of rejoicing in your heart, you're a lot easier to get along with. And then the attitude we're supposed to show is that there, there's a Greek word here. It's epiaikis. And it can be translated a number of ways. You know how, how words often have a, a zone of meaning. And, and one, in, in this case, it's translated reasonableness, but it could also be gentle, mild, forbearing, fair, moderate. What it's saying is when somebody disagrees with you, don't immediately get all angry and up in their face. Demonstrate that you have rejoicing in your heart. Be gentle. Be reasonable. Pretty much everything we can talk out if we will all be reasonable. And we can even disagree on the conclusion but if we promise to remain reasonable with each other and gentle and fair, then we can fix it later. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what we've got to do is we've got to get the attitude right. We've got to get it right first, both inside, heart of rejoicing, and outside, reasonableness, fairness, willing to listen, acknowledging other people and their reality. And then after that, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. Now, I got to tell you, these two verses here, they deserve a series themselves. Maybe we'll do that one day. But, but for today, let's just do this. Being anxious doesn't help. Who's learned that? Anybody learned that? Being anxious doesn't help. Boy, I sure get cranky when I'm anxious. Now, here's the problem. Me standing here and saying, don't be anxious. That doesn't help either, does it? In fact, in some cases, that might heighten the anxiety. Ah, I'm not supposed to be anxious. Now I'm anxious about being anxious. So don't not be anxious because I said don't be anxious. Here's your reason to not be anxious. The passage says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Don't be anxious because you know that you have carried your worries and your needs to God in prayer with a heart that is thankful for the blessings received and for the blessings yet to come. So that thankfulness in your heart for what God has done in the past, for what you know God will do in the future, what's the promise? There is one in heaven who is coming, a Savior who will restore our bodies. See, these are promises to come. You know the promises back, what's been fulfilled in your life already. You know what is to come. So with the thankfulness in your heart for what has been and what will be, carry your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. And step away from the anxiety. And the result of this will be peace that surpasses understanding, which means a peace that happens even before the storm is over. See, the reality of anxiety is peace doesn't come after all the things in your life have come into perfect order. It's never going to happen. It's not all going to come into perfect order. There's always going to be this. There's always going to be that. There's always going to be another thing. And if you're going to live in peace, you're going to have to learn to live with the reality that it's not all in order yet. To be able to set it at the feet of Jesus and then step back and have that peace that guards your heart and mind so that you can stand firm. Which is the original admonition in chapter 4, verse 1. Stand firm. Don't let your anxieties knock you off of your safe place in Jesus. Carry them in prayer. Maintain thanksgiving in your heart. And stand firm. Living in anxiety is not God's desire for us. We must learn to find peace even while the storm is raging, because Jesus has told us, in this life we will have troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The suggestion in this passage 
for us to contemplate, for us to reflect on, for us to challenge our own hearts with, is that despite it all, a life of rejoicing and peace is possible. According to Paul, it's possible to live a life of rejoicing and peace. Not because everything's right, but because your hope is in God. But now we come to the title passage for day, today, and in it I believe we will find a key to life that will never let us down. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, there's that word finally again. Paul likes to throw that in when he's saying, I'm about to wrap this up. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So, so this, is, this is all about the approving what is excellent, which he talks about in chapter 1, that you abound more and more in love and knowledge and understanding, that you might be able to approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That's verses 10 and 11 in chapter 1. This is what this is talking about, to be able to approve the right things. And what are those things? He's saying focus on what is true, not what is false. Focus on what is honorable. Focus on what is just. Focus on what is pure. Focus on what is lovely or commendable or with excellence, done with excellence, or, or worthy of praise. Here's the reality. This, this mandate really kind of cuts across a lot of our trajectories as we live out our lives in a world that has become very ugly in this profane age. We're more likely to say, true what is true we've all become pilot why would I care about honor I only care about winning and power justice for me sure but justice for you well just don't get in my way pure is that even a thing anymore lovely commendable what does that even mean Has the reality of our age, of our, of our seeking what is good for me, of demanding my rights, of getting my share, no rules on what I do or see or say. Okay. Has it made us happy? I'll tell you one of the saddest things that I feel like I encounter. Eh, maybe I'm not reading it right, but I'll just tell you how I feel like I encounter it. One of the saddest things that strikes me sometimes about living in Boulder is I will, I will drive around and I will see these incredibly fit older people. Have you seen them? 
incredibly fit older people, but they look angry. It's like, what's the point? Are you not having fun? I hope I'm mostly misreading that, but I, I think there are examples of this where, where we've done everything right and my life is still not good. Where is the peace that passes understanding? Is it in us? I'm going to invite the band to come back up here. 1 Kings 19 verse 4. But Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. So I want to ask you today, in the, in the midst of this 42-day journey, at day 21, how's your head? How's your heart? How's your head? How's your heart? Are you living in peace that passes understanding? Or are you gripped in anxiety? How's your journey going? Elijah was living in anxiety there for a little while. Here's the irony to me, the greatest irony of that story. He runs away from Jezebel to not get killed and then says, kill me. How often do we do stuff like that? It makes us crazy. Are you looking in the right places? Think about your life. Are you looking in the right places to be rebuilt and recharged and refreshed and renewed? Does living a righteous life seem impossible to you? Well, then you're going to need one more verse from Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In fact, let's read that together. You got it on the screen. Let's read it together. Are you ready? Here we go. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Are you breathing in Jesus or is it the fare of the world that you're consuming and consumed by? Do you want to get away? Then let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And start looking for that which is true, that which is honorable, that which is just, that which is pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. We've got three weeks we celebrate communion again on that day it will be by symbol the body of Jesus in us through the bread through the bread and the blood of Jesus in us through the wine but every day between now and then it will be his breath in our lungs so here's what I want you to do everybody sit up real straight for a second we're going to take a deep breath. What we're going to do is we're going to breathe in Jesus and breathe out the world. Are you ready? All right, think about this. Here we go. Ready? 
deep breath. Breathe in Jesus. Now breathe out the word. I feel a little better. Now let's go again. Only this time we're going to breathe out anxiety. Okay, you ready? Let's breathe in Jesus. Now breathe out your anxiety. Okay, I'm feeling a lot better now. This time, let's breathe in peace and breathe out strife. Ready? Breathe out strife. Now let's worship.